episode 11 of the First Strike Podcast. We got a full house, our full house of regulars here. We got Rob, we got Doug, we got Brian, just right before the week of the PT. And just want to remind people, and I created a new link so that's much easier to get to instead of trying to find where it is on YouTube, what the actual weird YouTube link is. I've changed it up, so added a shortcut. Just go to manandeprived.com slash first strike, and it's going to give you not only the, the current YouTube video that you can just go into, or there's the YouTube video links to like the archives to subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's also the RSS feed, the iTunes feed, uh, the Google Play and iTunes. So you can subscribe to our cast or video show or, or the podcast in a bunch of ways. So just go to manandeprived.com slash first strike for everything first strike related. And before the start of the show, I got to ask my friend Brian, who's always been teasing me that he's going to move up to Canada. Are, are you coming up soon, Brian? It's uh, with each day of American politics, it's getting closer and closer that I come and join the great white north. Uh, I may be a Canadian citizen any day now. Let's just keep seeing what happens. And uh, <laughs> you might have me in your midst before you know it. Man, I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited. I can't wait to see you up here. Things are crazy down here, man. Uh, we're all very envious of our neighbors in the north who seem to have a stable and reasonable government currently. So, <laughs> It's always good to see uh, Watsi, uh, see us. Res- seemingly, they probably have responded to a lot of feedback, but it's always cool that when we talk about a certain topic and then we actually see some amount of change and we feel like we had some sort of influence. Uh, Rob, how did you feel? about the new FNM promos that they're announcing for the months of May and June, first with unlicensed disagration, which is a very, well, has been, at least in the previous standard format, very playable card in Aether Hub in June. Of course, that's so far away. There's like playable cards that you're going to, that I wish I could win at this week's FNM. Like, oh, okay, unlicensed disagration, <laughs> I wouldn't mind getting a place it. But in May and June, will I still care? That's the issue. What did you think about uh, this little announcement this little reveal yeah so i think that um aether hub is a solid choice and regardless of how late it is in the format like that card is going to be wanted um like it's it's basically tend to ice bridge right which is a rare that was expensive from back in the day so this will be a foil alternate art card that um is you know kind of strictly better than than tendo ice bridge so um i i think of that like that was an easy Pick for them. I'm glad they picked it. <laughs> it would have been very disappointing if they missed that one. Unlicensed disintegration is definitely good. It's a reasonable pick. I think uh, they could have picked other cards that were better, like maybe even Shock or Harness Lightning um, or Glimmer of Genius. I don't know if they did Glimmer of Genius already. I w- they probably didn't because they're doing stupid fortunes favor or whatever, right? <laughs> so um, I think it would have been better. I mean, Given like where they are now and unlicensed disintegration, unlicensed disintegration is like an order of magnitude better, and Aether Hub is another order of magnitude better than that. But I just I don't still don't understand what the reluctance is of mixing it up with modern cards more frequently, or just printing rares in the F and M slot. Like why does it have to be capped at uncommons? I'm, I mean, it, it's progressing in the right direction, so I'll give them props for that. At least we'll watch how it evolves, um, you know, over the next few months and see uh, see what the rest of the year brings us. Doug, does this get you to potentially show up at FNM in, in May or June? Honestly, like I definitely think with the Aether Hub, it will. Um, that's a card that would be sweet to have a set of foil. And yeah, it's late. And I had this argument with some Albertans right after uh, they announced it that it's just going to be irrelevant. But I, I think it's a good change in the right direction. And we have to take 
a couple things into account when we think about it. Why did they suddenly decide to print these hyper playable cards? Because if they're doing this as some kind of response to a backlash or as an intentional choice to look at cards that are uncommon, that are being played at the Pro Tour for people to play with, maybe this is just the start of things to come. And I know I'm an optimist and I know we've had these discussions before where there's you know, some, some of us thinking that this could be a great step in the right direction. Others need to see it first, but I'm happy about it. And uh, I would love to to see the trend continue that right after those two, maybe there's a playable, like you said, shock is a great example of something that came out after those two. Obviously it's an older card, but uh, it's going to be playable and standard. I assume as long as uh, Sahili is a thing, uh, maybe other playables like glimmer, like you said, I like it. I say, go with it. Don't know where I stand on the modern uh, debate. Obviously I'd love more modern cards out there, but at least get standard going. That's what you want your FNM players to be jumping right into is standards. So let's give them cards that they can put into their decks and start getting them hungry for foils. So they buy all the packs that they can dream of. <laughs> Anything to add, Brian? No. I, I mean, I, I haven't played an FNM in probably like six years. <laughs> maybe. I, how do you get the FNM cards? Do you have to win something, or are you just automatically given them by just showing up at FNM? It's up to the store's discretion. Typically, the winner gets them. Sometimes top four, sometimes randos. It's, Everyone, uh, you get you get a promo. You get a promo. Yeah, I mean, there's no set way, right? Like I've seen, I've gone different stores where the prize at that FNM is the promo. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you it's could only get winners, really interested though. if they were like, you know, you only got one per FNM and it was really difficult to earn an FNM card and like they were super valuable. But uh, this this is not the right question for me. So I, I will reserve judgment and leave it up to the experts on this. I don't know what being at FNM is even like. So All right. But we'll we'll get right back at you for this big one because you have just done something that's very related to this topic, which is MTGO. We've talked about this a number of episodes. And today, Rob tagged me uh, in a tweet that MTGO traders, Heath Newton, he tweeted out that we unfortunately need to drop our ticket buy price to 0.90 for the time being until the sellout slow down. So there's a lot of people selling out of uh, through through MTGO traders. And he's also later added that people are probably worried about Magic Digital Next and Watsy hasn't responded about what it will be. People are freaking out and selling. And Brian, what did you do? What was your uh, response? I, but, I mean, this is before this tweet. This is uh, a decision I made. Right. I think on Friday I did this. I sold $7,400 with the Magic Online cards to MTGO traders. I'm not here to plug them or anything, but it was a good transaction. They did a good job. Um, and... Yeah, exactly the reasons that Heath is talking about. I have, listen, it's it's gone on too long that Wizards has not said anything about it, Magic Online Next. The product we all know exists. It's indisputable. It's in all of their earnings reports, and they're talking about it. It's out there. For them not to issue reassurance to consumers that their previous Magic Online collections will have a place in this new regime, that's too long, man. I mean, people want to know this information. There's outcry about it. Obviously, there's been a topic of conversation. And I think it's reaching a boiling point right now, which is weird that, like, as I independently make this decision, now it's all going to come to a head. And you can understand why, if they are looking to move away from the current platform, they can't say anything. Because the second they go, yes, we're going exclusively to this platform, 
that's it with the price of magic online everything immediately tanks it only takes those few words to say yes we're moving away from this is not our focus anymore for all of these cards to completely have their value decimated you know there'll be a panic sell so it, it only makes sense based on their actions that we're headed towards a major shakeup. I had no interest in being caught in the backlash. I didn't want to throw away $8,000 worth of value. I'm not particularly hard up for the money, but the second part of it is that also I don't use my Magic Online cards. I kept I kept all my standard cards. I have almost all of standard, which I still rarely play, but I sold all of Legacy, all of Vintage. Uh, I kept one modern deck. And it's just like I, I wasn't getting use out of them. And at this point, I was fine with giving up that value and not using them just to have them in the situation where I would need them. When I knew that the system was always going to hold value, there was no real cost to me holding these cards. I don't have that confidence anymore. I believe that continuing to hold these cards could put a fairly substantial amount of money at risk. And I made the decision to sell out. And uh, I'm not looking to cause a panic, but I think if you hold a large Magic Online collection, you have to think very carefully right now about whether you're willing to eat the loss on this collection if it totally tanks. And I wasn't, so that's where we are now. <laughs> uh, Doug, I think you mentioned in our private chat that you're thinking about doing this, something similar. Yeah, um, about a week and a bit ago, I reached out to uh, my best friend, Josh. We share a Magic Online collection, and uh, we borrowed a large amount of modern cards from a friend. And I said, I want to quickly sort back out everything we borrowed, give it all back, and then sell everything that we have. Um, because I, I have to do that organization part. And so we've been sifting through the list. Well, I've been sifting through the list and trying to see like what we have. I, I don't think I, we have anywhere near as much, but we did make a transition to Magic Online from our paper collection. A few years back, we sold um, all of our cards to a local and all the money we got from our joint collection, we just put into tickets on Magic Online. So I have to imagine, unless like we're both much worse than I'm realizing that we still have uh, have a good good amount of ticks worth that we can sell. Um, and that's the plan. We both kind of agreed that we're just going to sell it, split it. And then, you know, if he wants to kind of go back in on part of it or with the tickets from his half, if he wants to keep drafting or whatever, that's fine. But um, I want out for very similar reasons, smaller scale. But uh, this is a choice I made, like I said, a couple weeks ago, or sorry, just under a couple weeks ago. And uh, now seeing this tweet from 10 hours ago, I'm realizing I need to be even faster than I have been. I can't just be slowly sorting this. This is something that I might just do with my night off tomorrow is just spend the time, get it finished and start this process. Yeah. The thought is when it changes, it changes like that. That's it. I, I think it's going to be a transition that either one day they're worthless or we know we're going to continue going forward. And like, the other thing that I debated for a long time is, is there upside in this? Like if they do a successful launch of Magic Online Next and it brings in this huge influx of new players, are all of my old cards now worth more? Like, do I certainly have a gold mine on my hands? Kind of like if I had been in Paper Magic back in the day. And really, if you stop and think about that, that doesn't make any sense. If you bring in this huge influx of new players, they're not going to isolate the legacy format to only people who were playing previously, right? You're gonna see a huge amount of reprints. And let me tell you something, when reprints happen on Magic Online, generally those cards are hit much harder than even paper counterparts. You can see a value of a card go absolutely into the tank based on a reprint on Magic Online. So there's no upside, there's potential for a huge downside. As friends of our podcast, I am urging our uh, listeners think very carefully about continuing to hold on Magic Online. Yeah, and that that was my exact argument too, is if it's not the subscription model, 
all card prices are going to go down across the board anyways. But I do, you know, I do think we also have to really consider the subscription model, if that's what it is, or the Hearthstone model or whatever other games are doing these type of digital models. And, and like you said before, those won't just hurt the prices. They'll destroy them. Like the old system will probably just become obsolete and everything will become zero. So I, I'm, I don't know what Rob thinks, but I'm totally on board with urging our <laughs> listeners to just make make an educated choice with your money. I'm not saying you have to sell, but at least don't be caught off guard. Well, Doug, if you listened to me last week, <laughs> you would have known that I told everyone to to consider getting out soon. That I would be getting out kind of after this, um, after uh, Aether Revolt cycles, because I can I have most of my collections invested in standard, a little bit in modern, um, and I. I still want to, I guess, play the format because I plan to go to a bunch of standard GPs over the next three or four months. Um, but after that's over and it's back to sealed GPs and and modern and stuff like that, then, uh, yeah, I have, I have no interest in, in retaining all of that kind of <laughs> sunk cost in the Magic Online where it's, you know, very volatile, very uh, high risk and very likely to go, uh, <laughs> you know, go down. I, I don't see a lot of upside uh, in it. And it's I'm just very disappointed in Wizards because they could either, like, it's happening anyways, right? So everyone knows that because they've said nothing, the most likely outcome is that we're going to get screwed <laughs> if you have a lot invested in Magic Online, right? So because they haven't said anything, you, you think that, and it's happening, so they should just say it. Uh, and if it's not going to happen, then they're they're really doing themselves and their customer base a disservice, where they could just, they don't have to tell us what the Magic Digital Next is, but just come out and say something like, hey, guys, we know that there's some uncertainty about the value uh, of your Magic Online collection. Just know that what we have planned in the future, we feel is not going to drastically shift the economy on Moto, right? Like that's all they need to say, if it's true, right? And it's they can say that without saying anything about Magic Dig Digital Next, and everyone will just feel very comfortable about what's going on, right? It's like, okay, there's no reason for them to, to say that and then just totally F everybody, right? <laughs> um, so uh, I hope that they say that they would be factual and they're not just lying. But uh, the fact that they're not saying it is, yeah, I mean, it just gives everyone reason to think that it's the other thing because it's so simple for them to just, uh, you know, give people some peace of mind. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's sketchy and uh, I will be getting out soon. Soon. Hopefully I get out before the crash, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm with you, Rob. I, I have to keep some of it because I'm, I'm planning on going to GP Pittsburgh and, and possibly other standard GPs. And it's just more convenient, a lot more players than, than making sure I play uh, Cockatrice or uh, they're just, it's just a better still, still, despite all the criticism, it's still a better experience than, than Cockatrice because there's just so many more players that are, that are using the program. What's interesting is I believe today, one of my good friends, Jay Lansdale, who's, who's a contributor and writer for, for Mana Deprived, he's also part of the Epic Card Game. And they just launched, I believe today, or at least yesterday, their, their Epic Digital Card Game Kickstarter. They were asking for 50 grand, 50 Gs, and already in just like less than a day, 62K and $403 have already been pledged to this game. And this, it's going to be interesting. I bring up this game because it's going to be really interesting to see because it's going towards, um, I'm not sure the exact model, but you're going to get unlimited copies of every card for one low price. So we're going to have this competitor for MTGO already, not just Hearthstone, and, but this one, just like you, you get to own every card for one low price is what it says. So 
it's going to be pretty intriguing. What, what do you think about that, Brian? I, yeah, I mean, like, this is just how... This is how the online gaming market has evolved, right? Like, we've talked about this before. Wizards is kind of an old company now. Magic Online is an old product. It was one of the first. It, it was the first, right? There was no digital card games before Magic Online that I'm aware of. I mean, you could play, like, spades and stuff. But, I mean, there's certainly no digital TCGs before Magic Online entered the space. And... I remember, because I was involved from the beginning. I absolutely, as soon as Magic Online came out, that's when I started playing. So I'm, you know, a first wave adopter of Magic Online. I remember sitting with my digital avatar around the tables in the Magic Online lobbies. Like, that's how far back I go. Um, and at, at, at that time, we were, the, the pack crisis felt weird. It was strange to pay for digital objects back then. We're like, really? We're going to give you $4 and we're going to get digital objects? But that was the only entrant into the space. We're like, okay, I guess if we want to play Magic Online, this is the cost. And now we see all these other iterations of online card games and, and they're not using that model anymore. And you can't go back. The genie's out of the bottle. If you want new players, they're not signing up for Magic Online out of the blue. Like you're, you're getting established Magic players who are playing Magic Online. You're not expanding your market. And that is the purpose of branching out into online gaming for these companies. They expand their market. You're, you're not trying, I mean, look at how small, I don't know if you guys have been on Magic Online in these past weeks since uh, either Revolt came out. Leagues are small. They're really small, like the smallest I've ever seen them. I think the standard league has like four or 500 people in it right now. That's a really, really low number. And also remember, while that number is really low, that the bulk of all play is now going through the leagues. There used to be tons of other options for play, right? There was daily events. There was eight men's. The vast majority of play is going through those leagues, and those numbers are way down. I, I have to think numbers are hurting right now. I have to think it's related to this uncertainty. Um, now, all of this being said, this is like this is the correct move. Magic Online needs to go away. It can't exist forever. It's been a drain on Wizards' online efforts. Um, we have to get away from it. And it's always been my belief that the biggest problem that they have in updating, and this is based on absolutely nothing, complete conjecture. So let's just be clear about that. But I think there's an issue with migrating collections over to kind of new interfaces and and new um, clients, and and that's where they've had a lot of troubles because obviously the first thing you would do with Magic Online if you came in would be like, well, this is shit. We need to start from square one and scrap this. And I think the problem they're running into is that they can't preserve collections. And I think that problem is now you know, coming to roost at this point. I, I don't think your collections are going to be preserved. We'll see. I I'm not even going to say I, I hope I'm wrong because uh, this payment model isn't going to last into the new um, kind of paradigm of online gaming. It's, it's not going to make it long-term. So we do need to move in another direction and I'm protecting my investment while I still can. <laughs> oh. Well, that was, <laughs> that was well put, Brian, as usual on this type of topic. Um, for me, it's just interesting to see that uh, there's always been talk and fear of all these competitors and, and none of them have like, besides Hearthstone, really come up. But I think now we're gonna start seeing them. Like this Epic game is coming up in, uh, projected to come in fall, fall of 2017. And we're gonna see elders like this. Uh, very it's a very good game too, by the way. It's, it's well-designed. Yeah, so I've heard, so. Hmm. 
And just one thing, though, I do just want to mention about the the Epic thing, because we're talking about, you know, the backing that it got and how this is the new model. This was a successful Kickstarter, right? Like the original Epic card game was a Kickstarter they put up with a 50 grand goal that made like $600,000 in the Kickstarter run um, and, and was successful. So uh, I do think, yes, obviously I agree with everything you're saying about the model. And I think this game is fantastic. And I decided earlier today to back it because you get alpha access starting next month but i do just want to say that like you got to be careful when you look at like oh look at they got sixty two thousand dollars in the first day they are operating off like a really successful kickstarter and doing a second one that's just something to factor in so i just wanted to bring that up mm. good point doug now let's move on to something else we're going to move on to what uh the format's going to be at the pro tour this week which is standard Hoping to see another maybe Doug versus Rob war of blue-white flash against green-black delirium. Maybe um, Dylan Donegan ended up winning SCG Richmond, the uh, Richmond Open, with Jeskai Sahili. Lots of our listeners and, and watchers or viewers have asked us if we think we're heading towards a two-deck format because the Sahili deck, there was four copies in the top eight and there was a bunch of green-black in the top eight as well. We are seeing some Jeskai control and, and in the SCG classic, we are seeing a more, a bigger variety. In my opinion, there wasn't like a Sahili dominance in the classic. It was won by black green delirium in that one. And there, there was actually green white tokens and more vehicles that made the top eight. So, so starting with you, Rob, are we heading towards a two deck format in your opinion? Uh, I think there are more decks uh, in the format that are viable. I just think that uh, these two decks, the green-black deck and the Jeskai, well, either Jeskai Sahili or Jeskai Control, they were more um, they were more closer to tuned uh, after the first iteration than the other strategies, right? Like you see like the red-green energy decks, like some of them are playing like more of a mid-range strategy now where they're running main deck Chandra's and really like don't have um, uh, whatever that uh, double strike uh, card is. Um, and they're like relying less on Pummeler, um, and others are like still full in on the on like the you know kind of infect plan, right? Try and combo you out with uh, double strike damage as soon as possible. So you see stuff like that happening. I've seen lots of different builds of like Mardu vehicles. Um, I saw some decks are starting to run that like black red three drop that gives uh, an artifact creature plus two plus so during your combat step to kind of uh, I don't know get more value out of their heart of Kieran's and stuff like that. It's a pretty good sequence to. Two into three doing six damage vigilance um, seems reasonable, especially if your first turn play is a uh, toolcraft exemplar or something like that. Coming in for for nine on turn three is uh, <laughs> kind of nothing to laugh at after doing three on turn two. Um, and, and I see lots of variants there. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think we're there. I don't think we can declare that it's a two-deck format yet. Um, but I think that people know closer to what the Jeskai Sahili shell should be, or at least it's close enough that... Um, it's able to kind of eke out advantage against the other untuned lists. And same with the green black deck, the green black deck just has like a very powerful core, which kind of we, we talked about last week as well. Um, and you can build around the flex slots and it doesn't seem to really affect the deck's ability to perform too much. So I think as long as there's like a 10% uh, of the field is green black decks, you'll be able to push some of them into the top eight because some of those people are going to have a hot day and just kind of, uh, you know, be able to curve out Constrictor into Rishkar, into Verderous Gearhawk, and just slap people around, right? Um, and it'll take a little while for these other decks to catch up. I assume that uh, the Pro Tour will bring new variants of kind of underrepresented 
top eight strategies um, to the metagame. Um, I, I do have like one note about the winning deck list. I, I was actually very surprised that this deck won, looking at it on paper, given how the top eight shaped up with being like five, like five uh, Jeskai decks and, and three green-black decks. Because like this deck just has like three disallow, two negate, and then um, some harness lightning, draw spells, um, and and the combo essentially, right? So it just it looks like it's reasonable against green black with four harness lightning and no shocks. Shocks kind of pretty bad in the green black matchup, but this looks like it would be particular bad at least game one in like the Sahili mirror with them just like not having. There's no shocks anywhere in the list. There's no authority of the consoles. There's no um, no Avacyn, no Thalia. So. Um, I'd have to go back and watch some of the footage to see kind of how he got paired through uh, the tournament. I know that he at least played the four colors to Healy deck, which is going to have a, a different matchup than Jeskai and Jeskai. But yeah, I don't know. Just looking at it on paper, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that this one took it down given the, I guess, the composition of the top eight. Hmm. Were you uh, expecting people to adopt the the Marvel uh, strategy, Rob, in, in uh, the four colors to Healy? People weren't doing that, but people were cutting... Uh, they were playing for either cutting it completely or uh, in this case Jeffrey Ashkin what I thought was kind of weird which is uh, spell queller they, they've either play zero now or, or two in the sideboard but uh, no no Marvel we see a Pat Harmonicon Monocon in, in Jeffrey's uh, runner up deck though <laughs> it provides the same level of spice I guess <laughs> um, I mean the uh, the Johnny is interesting I'm not I guess that's Maybe uh, it's good against green-black. I haven't really played with or against that card yet, so I'd be interested to see kind of how that performs and, like, you know, what is it uh, good against. I mean, it definitely kills a fat murderous gear hulk, so uh, there's that. I think the spell close coming out of the main is more a nod to everyone just jamming Oath of Chandra and Harness Lightning. If they can just, like, very easily kill the spell queller and get their spell back... Um, you know, spell color gets a lot worse. Like I know when I was playing blue white, as as maybe you did as well. If I was playing against a green black delirium deck, I would usually side out um, all or at least most of my spell colors, depending on the composition of their deck and and whether I was on the player draw. So um, yeah, it's just like not great if they can <laughs> if they can kill it for two mana and you're spending three mana to to counter something that's actually not getting countered. Right, right. You basically need uh, the the thing is it's only good if the spell color has done enough damage and there's usually not I don't feel like it it, it caches enough damage value for, for it to be worth its spot. Now uh, Brian wasn't uh with us last week, but he had mentioned his candidate for breakout card of the tournament to be walking ballista. And now everyone is playing and adopting it. Uh Brian, do you, do you actually see this card still continuing to be good as we're transitioning to this like Jeskai focus world where it, it might not be as good as pinging the whole board if, if the opposing uh, if your opponent is not even playing that many creatures no no this this card's great against jeskai this is one of the best cards you can have in your deck against the jeskai decks because it breaks up the combo you you can't combo off with a i keep reading his name I, I will call him hanger back walker at least once in this conversation just so we're clear uh walking ballista you can't combo off with a walking ballista on the table it totally forces you to change your game plan i was actually playing uh a few games right before we started casting very interesting deck, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, but, and exactly that situation happened to me. I, I had the combo in hand, and my opponent played a walking ballista, and I looked at my hand, and I'm like, well, I can't win this game anymore. Um, you know, whether the, whether the format stays board-focused 
or combo focused, Walking Ballista will continue to have a place. I mean, the, the card scene widespread playing vintage right now. That tells you all you need to know about how good this card is. It's very, very, very good. Um, it's going to be a defining card of this format. I don't know if it translates to Legacy Modern. I don't see that quite yet. It certainly have to be a very limited context, very interesting context. Um, but yeah, this is this is the standard guy. He's going to have a lot of influence. Um, the deck I, I was playing that I wanted to mention, and kind of in response to your, will this be a two-deck format? Um, it's a deck I saw in Modo. It was played by, let's see if I can find the guy's name and give him credit, War Prince. That's kind of a badass name. I like that. Um, but he was playing a deck that combined the Sahili combo with Animation Module and Metallic Mimic. Uh, so the first thing I thought of is like, well, this is kind of like Thopter Depths, right? Like you have that combo that just puts two cards together and instantly kills you while also having this incremental value combo strapped onto it. Um, he used War of Invention to find his combo pieces. Uh, he's got a good counterspell base. He's got four, um, four Metallic Rebukes. It was a really interesting list. I, I played with it a little bit. It's unpolished, unquestionably. It's very rough, but kind of these hybrid combo decks, these these two-prong combo decks, I think you're going to see this at the Pro Tour. I'd be very surprised to not see any Metallic Mimic animation module show up at the Pro Tour. I do not think this format is yet solved. I do think that Sahili severely limits deck construction, um, but even with that kind of restriction on the format there's a lot of wiggle room and a lot of uh territory still to be explored so do, do you feel like sahili combo is just kind of like the collected company of the format though like they have it's all these strong worse. etb creatures right and they just want yeah. to just well you have this shell of like server the conduit rogue refiner and the sahili combo and they just kind of like float around <laughs> yeah it's a little worse in that you're just you're forced into really unfun play patterns and you're just like a lot of times you have to be like well, I lose if they have this card and there's nothing I can do about it. And you just have to like kind of dump your hand on the board and be like, yeah, here we are. You know, I hope I get lucky. Um, so I, Collected Company didn't have quite that feel. It was more, it puts you into, it, Collected Company forced you to make decisions that there was no actual information to be derived. Like you just had to be like, well, what's the worst case scenario? How can I attack? How can I block? Um, but you could still think through the decisions and get an edge. And I don't think there's a lot of times where you're able to think through the decisions in the same way here. You're kind of just up to the mercy of do they have it or do they don't. And uh, if you if you force yourself to play around it, then they're you know they're the better long game deck. They're just going to have inevitability over you anyway. So yeah, that that's the biggest problem with Sahili. It's just those those middle turns, like turns six, seven, eight. Like th there's a lot of times where you're just like, all right, let's see what happens. There's not a lot I can do here, and people are going to get frustrated with that really quickly. I think. Hmm. Doug, what's your overall picture of, of the standard? Uh, it's not a two-deck standard. Um, I agree with Brian that, yes, there is a shell that's dominant, and I do like the collected company uh, analogy, but it's definitely not a two-deck standard. I mean, even if we look at this top eight, like first it was there's, you know, there's this many Sahili decks and this many green-black decks, but then it was like, well, it was four Jeskai decks because really the four-color Sahili is nothing like the other Sahili decks. And if you look at those three green-black decks, they're very different. Well, two of them are very similar, and one of them is very different. And yeah, you can say they have a shell of, like, 
12 to 16 cards plus land base, but one of them diverges into Grim Flare, has Walking Ballista as an artifact, it has Mind Rack Demon. The other one is much more aggressive, Tireless Trackers, Servant of the Conduits. It's playing that like uh, artifact flyer thing that uh, at Aether Sphere Harvester. The decks are just very different, in my opinion. Um, they play differently, they win differently, they interact with. Uh, the combo in different ways. And if you just look onto the next page and you just look at the top 16 only, you know, there's white, red humans, there's zombies, there's a really cool team or Eldrazi deck um, that that's up there. There's more of the four color Sahili. We just talked about a really cool uh, dual prong combo deck. This honestly kind of reminds me of what happened at the start of last format. We came out of star city. If you remember back to the first of October, uh, and everyone was like, oh my god, white-red vehicles. Nothing will beat white-red vehicles. There's five in the top eight. There's five white-red decks in the top eight. Like how this Copter and Tapala and there's too much value and nothing's going to beat this. And yeah, like there's a random Grixis Emerge deck and a random Black-Green Delirium deck. But like everything else was either white-red vehicles or a red-black aggro. And when you fast forward to the Pro Tour top eight... There's like one white red vehicles deck, maybe two. I you know I know Reed Duke was close with it, and, and the format just shifted so much when the pros got to it. Uh, and I feel very similar um, about what's about to happen at this Pro Tour. Um, yes, some key cards were defining. Like when we look at these white red vehicles decks, the red black aggro deck copter was defining. That card was still defining in different decks, and it continued to define until getting banned. So I'm not you know saying that. Sahili combo isn't defining. I just think that we're really jumping the gun if we think this is even close to a two-deck format. Like the, the lists are so different from each other. So, you know, how many counters do you want to play? It was a good question that was just brought up. Three disallow, two negate in one list, where other lists are going heavier. Is there a dual prong combo deck? You know, are there some sleeper cards that we haven't even seen yet? I sure think there are, but uh <laughs> that's uh that's a different discussion. I, I think we're still developing and I'm really excited for the Pro Tour. I might be ready to eat my words, and it might just be like six or seven, like very similar Sahili shells in the top eight, but I don't think so. No way. Um, I think I, we're going to see some Metalwork Colossus coming out, like has been mentioned before, and, and other different fun things are going to come out to play. <laughs> but like Doug, or maybe Brian, like where, where do you draw the line, right? Like it, I think we're getting, if you look at the last two tournaments, right? There was dominated by Sahili in the top eight, dominated by Sahili in the top eight. If the Pro Tour has, let's just say, three out of eight decks with the winning deck as Just Guy Sahili, like, are we at that stage where, I mean, I, I obviously don't think that the card should be banned. Like, I think the standard has tools to beat things. But, and I, I if the deck's broken, I would just rather play it for three months myself. But, uh, <laughs> like, Wizards put in that release valve for a reason, obviously, right? Like, do you, like, are they going to use it? Like, I, I don't know. I feel like if, if there's three decks in the top eight and it's either the, the finalist deck or the winning deck, then five weeks later, we're going to see that card banned. And if that's the case, then we've just set just a terrible precedent that hurts my brain. <laughs> no, I'll tell you right now. No, if, if there's three in the top eight, you're not going to see it banned, you know, unless the week after at the GP, it's then like seven out of eight. I, I've said this before. We were all on the podcast. I don't think that that's the only thing this is for. Yeah, it's for banning something that's completely like utterly broken. Three out of the top eight is not completely utterly broken in my opinion. And if you just click through and look at these lists, like they're doing things differently. 
I, I don't think it's at that point. I think, you know, we're going to have a big pro tour with a lot of cool, innovative stuff, and it's not just going to be Sahili, Sahili, Sahili. I, I, I Twin though with less with less dominance than I mean than standard Twin. <laughs> less perceived dominance we're not even sure about this dominance yet like i i was talking pre-show if you look at the top 32 decks from this event it's not even 33 percent of the top three uh the top 32 decks are sahili lists like it's slightly under that you know if you look at page three of star city results you're not looking at sahili you're looking at green black and jeskai control and esper aggro and blue black control you know, this isn't 50% of the meta. This isn't 40% of the top tables meta. You know, this is a deck that I think the best or some of the better Star City players are championing. And I've not played a Star City, but I've had friends play it and say that they're relatively soft. So if you give this type of a control deck or, you know, interactive deck to reasonably good players, I think there's no surprise why it's rising to the very top. And I think that when I watched it this weekend and some players' hands that were making plays that were just horrendous to try and combo off, it reminded me of old Splinter Twin where the players who jammed were the ones that were losing and the players who weren't jamming and knew how to play this grindy game were the ones winning. And the pros are going to be able to beat that up if they can find the decks to beat it, whether it's some, you know, combo deck using like we mentioned before using the animation module if it's some other deck that we haven't even talked about cards that we're not mentioning you know i think the tools are in place and we're not going to see dominance at the pro tour like like you're describing no there won't be a ban let me share my opinion <laughs> yes on whether there should be a ban shut up are you kidding me this is exactly what i said would happen when Wizards introduced this next ban window. There is no way we can have this discussion yet. This is talking about bans after two weeks and even being mentioned is insane. Insane. We don't even know what the format looks like. We have no concept of understanding. And I'm, I'm telling you guys to shut up. You guys are my co-hosts. I love you. I'm actually telling everyone to shut up, not just you guys. I've had so many people text me and be like, do you think Sahili will be banned? I'm like, are you kidding me? How are we having this discussion? We're so far off from having to consider a ban of this card. And you know why people are having this conversation? Because Wizards added this safety valve that we had to have. So now every single week one and week two, we're going to have this conversation about some card. And you're exactly right that if you look at the SCG results from before the last Pro Tour, they were dominated by red-white vehicles and there were zero Marvel decks anywhere near the top eight. Well, look what happened when we got to the Pro Tour, and Marvel absolutely dominated that Pro Tour. It's You're going to see a different format next week. Please, please, always try and remember that. The format you see in the two weeks leading to the Pro Tour is not going to be the same thing that happens at the Pro Tour. So let's wait, see what happens at the Pro Tour. I do think Sahili is incredibly strong. I think it is oppressive to play patterns, and I think that it was a mistake to print it. That doesn't, none of those things mean it has to be banned because there may be such a powerful strategy that we'll have something else to complain about next week. We may be saying, how could they ever have printed paradoxical outcome? Or I can't believe they didn't see the metallic mimic uh, animation module combo. All of these things could be the topic of conversation next week. We just don't know right now. Anyone who wants to go have a conversation with their friends about whether there needs to be bans in standard, 
Think about this point and just wait. See what happens next week. Then we can come back and talk about this. Even that's too early, but at least I'll entertain it after a pro tour. But before a pro tour, this is preposterous. Wait and see what happens. I'm more interested in 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 like thinking about or watching for where the bar is for Watsi. Like we saw dominance week one, week two. If the pro tour has like say reasonable access, let's say like two in the top eight, and then GP Pittsburgh has three in the top eight, and then five weeks later, it's no ban. Then we're like, okay, we can use that as kind of a precedent going forward. It's like, okay, so this level of dominance seems to be okay in the first four weeks of a format. But if they ban it with with that level of dominance or lower, then it's like, okay, now I need to be very careful about what I invest in in the beginning of a standard format because they're like just ban happy, right? So it'll be interesting to see how they – like regardless of what they should and shouldn't do or what they will and won't do, it'd be interesting to see where they decide to uh, to draw the line if they do or where we can assume the line might be um, if they don't do anything. Uh, then we can hopefully make some more informed decisions later. But uh, I don't know. It's it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm feigning outrage at you guys, but honestly the outrage is at Wizards. Like they're at fault for introducing this conversation. Uh, they essentially opened the door for us to always have to talk about this. And, yeah, because it's not uh, yeah. it's not how oh just guys is really good. How do we beat that deck? It's like just guys is really we'll good. Are we gonna it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. That's that's absolutely crazy. And this is what I said. Our longtime listeners will remember me saying the exact same things when we discussed this new ban window. It's problematic. It's one of the worst decisions Wizards have made in a long time, and it's showing its face right now. Immediately, as as soon as the first set comes around, we're already having this discussion. But see, I. It pains me to say I actually really agree with what Rob just said. Uh, they can use this new ban window, whatever we're calling it. They can use it for not just to ban cards, but to also say, hey, we don't need to ban this. And that sends a strong message just as much as a banning sends a message to players, right? So I don't think we need to crucify them yet. I'm not saying that I'm not willing to jump ship when stupid decisions get made. But if you think that... Okay, maybe you have different experiences than me, but last Pro Tour, I heard so much about ban this and ban that, and there was no ban window yet. I don't feel like the ban window specifically changes the conversation that much. It just changes expectations of when. That's my opinion, but that's what I think is going to be the same as before. I heard ban Emrakul. I heard ban Marvel. I heard ban Copter. This is stuff I heard at the last Pro Tour I heard it before the last Pro Tour that Copter was stupid and look at the Star City results like before I even went to Hawaii. So these were conversations already happening and this ban window can be used not just for banning stupid things. It can also be used as a statement. Hey, this is a good level of play. Yeah, this deck is pretty dominant. Figure out how to beat it. Here's the strong message. Nothing banned. I'm just not willing to to crucify Watsi on it yet. I think that... Uh, in time, we can make a more educated decision about if this was the worst decision ever made or not. <laughs> oh, I'm loving this. I also like, Doug, you brought up the SCG soft. It actually, I have to like, just plug this in. Uh, where um, Frank Lepore said, I feel like I'm th- on Twitter. I feel like I'm throwing value away by not attending these SCG events when nine, two players are missing lethal by not bringing scroungers back. So lots of people hating on the SCG uh, players. Uh, Rob, I, I do, as a curious 
player going to GP Pittsburgh? Like, where are you looking uh, outside of these band considerations? Where are you looking to, to test first? Or are you just like sitting and, and waiting for the PT results right now? Yeah. So, um, our like uh, my local test group, we're we're still trying to kind of break the format, if you will. So I'm just like looking. I'm just looking for decks that haven't been explored yet. So I have a Metalwork Colossus list that is reasonable, but it's not there yet. I think maybe um, if I add uh, add some spice to it, it m I might be able to get over the hump uh, of what. Yeah, exactly. Sprinkle some fairy dust on it and see if I can get there. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I kind of I tried out the Marvel um, strategy with uh, the four colors to Healy combo, and it was reasonable. I took it through like a, just a friendly league to see if it was garbage or not. I five would I was like, oh, okay, this deck's got legs. <laughs> Take it through the comp league and just get wrecked two three. I mean, my draws weren't great, but I was obviously running hot and against subpar competition <laughs> in the first iteration. So I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. So um, yeah, we're trying some other things. Like I. I'm not going to test the Sahili deck at all. Uh, I just I, I'm going to assume that someone at the PT that is very good at these type of Splinter Twin builds is going to build a much better variant of the deck than than I will, and they're going to also put in a lot more effort uh, to do that. So while they're focusing on like what is the best 75 of a Just Guy Sahili list or four color Sahili list, I'm just going to try and do stupid things with the cards that are. Um, Kind of like under the radar, like Par Paradoxal Outcome and uh, Paradox Engine, and the rest of these animation module metallic mimic stupidity that uh, that's left there. That's kind of I, I don't know. Maybe it has legs. Maybe it doesn't. Sahili definitely suppresses stuff, right? So okay, okay. Any any uh, hot takes of other cards that you guys didn't mention, uh, Doug or Brian, before we move on? I'll tell you the card that I think is gonna gonna go up the card that's gonna appear that hasn't really appeared yet and that's oh. Tezra the schemer we got I the okay that, from the uh, crew <laughs> i mean i didn't i didn't hear back so i just went for it um it's a card that i uh today was spending all of my uh face-to-face -face credit on and uh and purchasing and i think that it's a card that right now is not on a lot of people's radar and i think there is some room for it to grow and uh there, there's going to be some sweet blue-black uh, lists that come out, whether they're combo-oriented or just more control-oriented. Uh, I think this card's sweet, and I'm excited to see the uptick. Calling it now. Ooh. <laughs> Anything else from you, Brian? <laughs> uh, just like all the interesting combo stuff, things like uh, Warlord Virtuoso and Gaunti's Aether Heart and, you know, little weird interactions like that that kind of... There, there's some mush of all these uh, techie cards that's going to squish together in a really nice way. And if I was a younger, more dedicated man, I might be the person to find them. But I'm just going to hope someone at the Pro Tour finds them, and then I'll latch on afterwards. Maybe clean them up a little bit and reap the benefits. <laughs> Sweet. Um, before we move on to our, our last segment, fun se segment that was brought up by Doug, I didn't want to mention to anyone watching this video, thank you so much, 21 viewers, to give the uh, video a thumbs up if you're watching and enjoying. We also had a lot of feedback. Uh, because of Rob and, and Dag, we, especially Rob, because we had some people sending us blue-red artifacts, draft decks that they were building, and like 3 owing. With them, uh, Rob, have you had more experience? Is it still a legitimate strategy that you're aiming uh, to draft? Yeah, it's still good. I, I, I took it for a run uh, online and uh, and had good success with it. Um, a few friends have been uh, crushing with it locally. Um, Jess almost took down a PPTQ with it. It was a very close 
game three. Whoa, she was forcing it. What was she forcing it while you were in the same top eight pod? Yeah, I was to her what? right. I was to her right. <laughs> no, like it, I, she's like, "Are you gonna draft the deck?" And I'm like, "We can't. I don't want to discuss like what, what we're gonna what, what what I'm gonna do." Right? I'm like, "You can just assume what you want to assume or whatever." So. Um, I I opened the pack. I take Untethered Express. I was like, okay, we're this is a I'm 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 happy. This is a very nice start, right? It was a it was a pack that had like some reasonable cards in it. There was a a Sweatworks Brawler that was sad to pass, and that uh, two three first strike uh, red creature that lets you um, rummage uh, when it becomes tapped. That I'm also a very big fan of. So that was unfortunate. I had a like really was kind of air in the pack. Other than that. So I thought um, Jess might take one of those two red cards, but she ended up taking the 2-3, the obviously. And then the guy to my right took an uncommon and passed me uh, Battle at the Bridge or Battle yeah, battle at the Bridge, which I think is uh, just insane card to get second. I'm not sure what uncommon uh, you're taking over it. Maybe maybe the green ridge scale guy is better. I'm not sure Like if you have an, a, a preference for green. But uh, the black cards just kept flowing. I couldn't get out of it. So I ended up being like kind of a a black blue um, improvised deck that was reasonable, but my opponent was also playing black blue, and he uh, almost cursed there. So he he cast Tesseret like on curve almost every game. <laughs> so I I was every time Tesseret uh, hit the battlefield, I, like one time I negated it. So every time I hit the battlefield, I lost, and every time I was able to Ooh. keep it off the battlefield, I won. Yeah, Tesseret Tesseret's it's a real a deal in, in limited. <laughs> It's yeah, a sign, Doug. <laughs> yeah, it's a sign. If it's good and limited, it's probably good and constructed. So get them while they're cheap. Um, yeah, so anyways, Jess, Jess uh, she ended up uh, going all the way to game three in the finals and, and almost um, beat the guy. Her opponent got a game loss for a deck roll, a deck registration error in the middle of game two or actually near the end of it, and that was a game where she was going to win. So if the judge would have just like, noticed the deck reg error maybe 30 seconds later – she would have won the event, <laughs> but uh, instead she ended up like mulling to to five or six uh, in game three, and and just kind of um, you know didn't really didn't really curve out, didn't really do anything uh, interesting. Her opponent also top decked the business to to have exactties, um, but you know it is what it is. So yeah, the deck's the real deal. I, I've heard other people talking about it, so um, you're welcome, internet. Um, I got you there, nice and quick. Stay tuned for Amonkhet. <laughs> can I? Uh, again. Can I, t- can I just uh, interject on this topic of last week's discussion? I just need to say this to get it off my chest, and it's a little bit of shade, but I have to throw it out there. I listened to the assessments on Limited, and I jumped in my first draft, and I ended up green white um, revolt or whatever it's called, and I got faced with this pick uh, in pack two reasonably early, where I'm staring at this 03 that by my oh, no. estimation oh, no. was approximately nothing and this 2-2 two, two, that I already had one of that by all estimation does something and I had this little voice in my head that was telling me don't be an idiot and this other voice saying this is the best white card so I took the 0-3 and I'm not done my league yet but I honestly sat for an entire game that I lost with my hands in my head as I had this 0-3, thinking if I only had any power to crew my untethered express, just literally any power, I just need one. I don't need a lot. This game would be so easy to win. But no, I could bounce this guy. I mean, he's got a cool ability. Um, but no, he just didn't do anything. So, so far, 
Uh, luckily, I did win the match, but so far, I just have to say Vint 0 and Reality 1. Um, that card seems like it sucks to me, but hey, I'm holding <laughs> out hope. Uh, maybe it's going to pull me out the 3-0 in, uh, in this draft league when I play my last. I know results-oriented thinking. That's what Vince is saying, but man, I'm regretting that pick. So It's uh, definitely better in Sealed. I've had very good success with it. Just going to throw that out there. I don't think it's garbage, but man, I don't think it's even close to top white card. So let's yeah, we can move needs, on It needs now. to be in the right deck. It definitely has a home, and it's effective in that home, but it, it's nowhere near the best white card. <laughs> I have like nine revolt cards, so I thought this was the right home. Um, my spiders and stuff like that, and my like, I've even got the green guy that like doubles plus one plus one counters when he comes in or dies or whatever. So I thought, you know, anyways. <laughs> I love this. I love this so much. I mean, the public thinks it's it's crap. So, uh, <laughs> Doug, you'd still be uh, with the majority. I was hoping that Rob would be faced with. I'm trying to find. I don't even remember the card he compared Intethered Express with that we had that debate. I was hoping Rob would have that uh, decision in his uh, top eight draft. What's the card that I you will were? say? This. Oh, Metallic Mimic. Metallic yeah, Mimic. Metallic Mimic, the rare. I will say this, though. Yo, my deck would have been lit. Like, absolutely <laughs> lit if I had Metallic Mimic. But I had two Toothopters running all over the place. Uh, would have been I, just fantastic. <laughs> I didn't really you know, back my card, and we talked about commons, and we had this big debate. But one of my friends told me he read a tweet that some pro, and I'm sorry how vague this is, but some pro claimed that that green 5-5 that puts counter on anything was better than like any Mythic rare in the set. And I know that's an exaggeration, but that was a tweet that he read. And uh, and I'm like, okay, so maybe this green 5-5 guy is actually like the truth. I, I don't know. I didn't. I, I didn't have it higher than Untethered, but I haven't played with it yet, so that's... LSB's compared it to uh, Verderous Gearhulk. And depending on your board presence, which is reasonable in green, it is likely doing similar things. Sometimes it's doing better things. Um, I, I obviously would... If, if, if they could be in the same pack, I would take the Gearhulk. I don't think it's that close, but um, I think that they can have uh, reasonably similar play patterns. So you'd so take I, it over Untethered Express? Well, he said that five, five? Would you? the 5-5 five five was almost I would. You was would, as good yeah, as Bruder's yeah. Gearhulk. So you'd be the judge of whether or not you'd take it over on I'm asking what you. I'm not asking oh, I would. you. Yeah, that's what I said. Tweet. I said when we were okay. – or was I talking okay. about it with Vince or you? I forget. But I had said that I think the top on common is, like, is the rich scale whatever. Scale so off maybe I'm bringing this up so that I can prove myself wrong because I haven't faced the decision yet. But I definitely had it lower. I'll admit that. So I feel like it's too okay. Rob Duck for now. But we'll, we'll just wait for the rest of the format to shake out. And we'll see where we stand at the end. <laughs> Doug, uh, Tezrit the Schemer or Ridge Scale Tusker? I mean, which one did I just buy a bunch of? Like, <laughs> so you already have it. You don't have to worry about rare drafting anymore. You should definitely no. get the Tusker and win your draft. Brian, Doug's taking it for value. Okay. okay. Oh, yeah. Value. Hold on. We're not, we're not getting into this story. It's not a mock Sopal, okay? We're not rehashing this Pro Tour pick. I don't know. I'd probably take the probably take the Tezzeret, honestly. I don't know. I, I love I love Mythic Rares. I, I take the Ridge Scale for anyone that's curious. It's one color. I'm not sure if you guys know that. Yeah. <laughs> um oh yeah, let's get let's finish it off with our fun topic, which is uh picking the Pro Tour team uh for, for this upcoming Pro Tour. It's been the big thing that they've tried to uh, with with articles uh so far coming out to try to push for to be to make it a thing so that uh, viewers, even casual viewers, can can come and understand and be hyped about it. We even had uh, some fa for team face to face. We had face to face games, jerseys made. Like we had to 
designed some from scratch, not the not the usual, just the logo thing. So it'll be exciting to see uh, all the different T-shirts and jerseys other teams will have to give it more of an esports flavor. Doug, how excited are you about this uh, Pro Tour teams thing? You know, I once I started to see the teams coming out and all of the the different configurations, I got really hyped. I, going in, I was. I was excited. I love the idea. We've talked about this before of like the branding and the marketing and, and the fact that some of the teams are getting legit sponsors, like gaming companies. Well, at least one, I think that's really cool. And then when I started seeing the names, there's some that are so funny. I was just going to bring up one. I was saying that the, the second half of MTG mint card, the fact that they're called MTG bent card just died laughing. Like that has to be the winner of best name. So I don't know. I'm a big fan. Um, I could do without some mox box nonsense and whatever crappy names that East West Bowl has fusioned off into like mash drop. But anyways, I love the, uh, the teams. I think it's fun. Um, we'll see how it ends up. I think they could have improved it, but I'm a big fan now that I see names on paper. <laughs> are you, are you guys like Mr. Esports, Brian, how, how do you think they're executing it so far? To well, your liking? It's it's too early to say, to be honest. Like it, a lot of it depends on how they cover it, what they do. I mean, like there's a point where this stuff becomes super relevant, and there's a point where it's not yet relevant. And I'm kind of afraid they're going to beat us over the head with it, even at the irrelevant parts. And as opposed to just like embracing the natural tension and and the really good things it brings to the to the game, I think they might try and force it a little bit. Um. So let's see how they do with coverage. But on the whole, I mean. Who's not excited about these teams? They're such great teams. Um, I haven't decided who my favorite team is. Like my heart is telling me that I'm a mutiny guy. And I think it's also like a super solid pick. I think they're totally capable of just like blowing the format absolutely apart. Um, but I, I I look at, I mean, obviously there's like a squad of all the best players ever in the history of Magic. And that's the easy pick. I wouldn't take that, but Musashi. That's a team I would be afraid of. There's some amazing Japanese talent on that team. Um, I could definitely see them. You know, I, I don't think a lot of people are talking about them, and it's probably just our uh, bias not being from part of the Japanese community. But that's a stacked team. They're going to be really good. Hmm. Okay, Doug, we'll just start with you. Like uh, Brian's mentioned a few of his favorites. Doug, who is your team? Who is your first strike pick? So I, I, uh, I'll, I'll try to do this quickly, but there's a team that I'm not a hundred percent convinced will perform the best. And I'm not saying that as a little like out for myself. I genuinely look at the list and I, I wonder about this team, but it has some of my favorite players of all time. There was a period of time where I really got into competitive magic and I was watching these players play on pro tours and I went to my first uh, Grand Prix, and I ended up missing top eight on tiebreakers because a couple guys with the same record snuck in, and a couple of them were these traveling Japanese guys like Shuhei Nakamura and Soyoshi Fujita. And I loved watching Soyoshi play. And then Kenji came around, and Kenji was just like a phenomenal player. And I watched them, and Masashi Ueso, this is a guy I completely just adored watching play magic he just had a brilliant mind so when i pulled up the list and i saw the roster for last samurai i honestly just started giggling i was so excited to watch those three i just mentioned with makahito mahara and teaming up with takamura as well as tamada some guys who recently have uh have been showing uh, their style i'm i'm all in on last samurai 
this is my pick. These are my horses. I want to see these guys just fuse the the old school with the new school and just decimate. And, you know, Fujita hasn't been playing a lot recently, but he's been doing coverage with Nico Nico for a long time, him and Kuroda. So, you know, these guys have been around the game still. And um, I that team just, it just tickles me. I'm so excited to watch them play. And I really hope Last Samurai just destroys this pro tour. <laughs> I mean, there's a good chance. I mean, oh, man. You just, like, evoke these memories in me, Doug, like, Tsuyoshi I know, Fujita. right? He was the <laughs> hottest so thing. He was, and he had the goofy player card where he's like, eh, remember the pro <laughs> player card? It's like the first gen. Like, it was so funny. Oh, man. I, All in. I was just this uh, at the time and still am for, for, for a lot of tournaments, like a neck decking freak, but I only wanted to net deck people that I respect or, or who were consistently putting out good decks i didn't want to waste my time but like there's there's some people that we all know brewers who are known to like they do well and and every time they put up a list it's always fairly mediocre like they they almost it's all like there's a lot of mistakes with it but with fujita I've, i would always like go to a tournament and generally was really happy with with his card choices and he's someone that that flores was really really super high on uh, I think at the time he was he was considered the, the best deck builder in the world. So I am also really hyped about this team. Uh, of course, I'm going to have to cheer for my boys at Face to Face Games. They've uh, I think this this whole team thing may have hurt them in terms of just looking at their six person configuration. It doesn't seem as scary in the past. Of course, it's headline. With one of, my, one of my greatest friends in Magic, and and one of, in my opinion, still one of the very best top five players in the world, Alex Hayne. And I do think that he's still, uh, like we talked about on, on the esports episode, where uh, people are still going to be working amongst teams, and I think they're going to be working really closely with uh, Channel Fire, Fireball Ice, that includes uh, PV Sigris, so a lot of Strasky, a lot of people that they work with when they were team face-to-face games before all these like six people teams. So because of that, because of these two teams making yet again, a super team, I think face-to-face games is if they come up with a deck together, these guys will have a strong showing yet again. Um, Brian, let's, let's have you pick one. So I'm picking face-to-face games. We've got Doug with last samurai. Are you, are you gonna push it all in with mutiny here? I just, I just wish I knew how committed Jerry was right now. When Jerry is committed, he's one of the best in the world, one of the best deck builders, one of the best players. He reminds me of myself a lot. We talk about this a lot. He, sometimes he has intense focus, and other times he doesn't really want to be there. And I respect that and understand it. Um, there's a lot of other good deck builders on this team. Sam is... Uh, I find Sam's deck building inspirational, actually. I think he looks at things in a very unique way. Um, he always inspires me to kind of expand my horizons a little bit when I'm deck building. Yeah, they're going to be my guys. I'm going to go with Mutiny. Um, a lot of friends, a lot of good players. Let's see what happens. They're, they're my team for the year. Okay. Okay, Robert. Who is yeah, my team? pick is kind of safe. I, I think Mutiny is a reasonable pick. Um, <laughs> reasonable. <laughs> I think that if there's like if there's a deck that no one else finds um, that's actually good that's kind of off off the beaten path, 
I think they'll find it and and uh, yeah. and they'll have good success. But they they've also played like um, they've come up with some very weird decks that have had <laughs> mixed results. <laughs> yeah. uh, depending like uh, Sandblock metagames real hard and then finds like some weird strategy to to attack that metagame. He's very good at that. So when his guesses are off, the deck of choice seems very weird. Um, but when he hits the mark, it's obviously the nut. Um, but yeah, definitely, I don't think that if we're trying to say which team on average is going to do best at the PT, I mean, I don't know if you guys are just giving it to me to be nice or whatever, but yeah. <laughs> Team Puzzle Quest has to be the choice for somebody, right? <laughs> um, Way up. I, I just, yeah. <laughs> the team's completely insane. I don't really need to talk about their accomplishments or anything. Um, I, I don't know like how well each of them are at deck building, but they're obviously going to be working with one of the other teams that have the, the more the a brewer uh, with them. Uh, so I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Um, the one thing I will mention about the teams is that like, I don't really care about these teams. Like I'm not excited that these six guys are now separated away from everyone in terms of like their performance over the year. Um, maybe because I, I guess I'm not big into esports, so I don't really, I don't really get it. Um, I'm more interested in like, <laughs> I, like I like uh, for, like, I like Paul Rietzel and Paul Rietzel does well. Um, I'm happy for him. He's like a seems like an upstanding member of the community. I, I respect his deck choices in play. Um, if the team Puzzle Quest does well, I'm not gonna really be like, yeah, Puzzle Quest, suck it, mutiny, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> screw you. I can't believe like, have that kind of regional hatred that sports brings for like literally no reason. I'm not sure that people are gonna get there. Maybe they will. I guess I, I, I don't know. Um, I think some of the team names are kind of stupid, and some of the sponsorships make the names look dumb. Like I think Puzzle Quest is kind of a dumb name, but it's the name of the company that sponsored them, so that it is what it is. I I'd be more happy if the team names were something interesting, like some of the other teams have done this, where it's like team, you know, some name that's uh, an interesting name, and then it's like sponsored by whatever Puzzle Quest or something, right? Like that. I think that's um, uh, better. You, you don't see like the Blue Jays are called like the Rogers baseball team. Or whatever, right? It's like, uh, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays, and they play at the Rogers Center, and that's that's how it's not the the Rogers baseball team <laughs> with a bunch of players on it. So um, I don't know. Some things need to get updated. Like I'm not going to wear a Puzzle Quest shirt if I'm in support of these guys or whatever. So, but if they had a cool team name like MPG Bank Card, if they had shirts, I'd probably buy one. It's okay, Rob. Um, every every podcast needs a heel, so we appreciate you. <laughs> I'm looking at Doug, hoping I'm like seeing the same main main board type reaction. Like, oh that? my god, team main board! Oh, I wish that I'd been at this pro tour. Instant just disqualification, for clearly. Just to be team main board side deck. Just that would be the two teams. So. You'd have to watch, <laughs> literally have to watch me like every year. How's team main board doing? I feel like Hayne is going to have one of these team names next year now. <laughs> uh, Rob, if, if they ever come out with Puzzle Quest t-shirts, you got to get one. Yeah, right? I think it's just so stupid. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> <What they do? laughs> now, now that, that's saying maybe I'm going to go on a tear and I'll have the opportunity to get sponsored by Puzzle Quest and they're like, no, this idiot made fun of us for like 20 minutes straight. But, I mean, I'll take it, I guess. If I, if I get that good overnight, then... I'll be okay. <laughs> I'll be okay with the results. All right. Um, any, any last words, guys, from anyone? Uh, I see people online and in real life sacking their un. Is it called unbridled growth? Is that the green enchantment? Yeah, yeah. 
I see them sack it on their opponent's turn, like when they're tapped out, as like a, you know, like whatever. Like I think twice. Like oh, I'm just gonna draw a card. Like what are you, what are you doing? Like it just you can sack it in an instance. Draw your card. Come on. It just tilts me every time someone does that. I just want to be like, just take the card out of their hand, put it back on top of their deck, and say like, no, untap your lands, draw the card. You know, maybe you need that extra black mana this turn. Make a decision. Maybe you drew a revolt spell, and you're gonna get tuned because now you can't trigger it. I mean, I, I don't know. Just every time I, I just been, want to reach out and slap someone when they do that. <laughs> I've been having opponents sacrifice the map with no cards in hand to just make a land drop, and it's the same feeling. It's just like you get didn't that, need to get that the land three percent edge, man. <laughs> if you drew like if you drew like the six drop you needed, you can then just do it next turn. And if you play any revolt card ever then you probably shouldn't have sacrificed it. I don't know. And, like, I've had players then draw revolt cards, so we probably shouldn't teach them. We should just keep farming them. But, uh... I'm farming them! <laughs> the culling. The MTGO culling by Doug Potter. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's kind of... It's embarrassing. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a, a dink, but... Just don't do it! Like, come on, just don't sacrifice it unless you really have no revolt cards. You really are wanting to thin that deck. Like, Okay. All right, guys. We'll see you all next week. Hope you guys uh, enjoy the, the PT coverage. Hope it's as good and as well executed. Hope it gives Brian some hope that uh, we can get there with a good first step with this team's coverage and everything. So I'm excited about it and uh, hope you guys definitely check it out. So we'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys. No bands. No bands. <laughs> Thank you.